0: As I sort of mentioned just a bit ago, we're focusing on relationships, uh, developing a, a culture among us. I kind of prayed about that in that prayer a little bit. Developing a culture among us, among the body of Christ, where we can enjoy what we're calling real relationships, real relationships. Relationships. Uh, in other words, so that we can create by the Spirit's work in us, among us, by the purposes of God being the reasons we have relationship, by those kinds of things being what sets the tone for our culture, that we can be real with one another. Because what we do is is we create relationships, we create these dynamics in our relationships that serve our inner purposes and that that end up creating a space in our relationships where we can hide from one another. You know, we're, we're just like Adam and Eve in the garden, really. We're just like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding behind a tree, covering our sin and shame. So, so what we want to do is we want to create a safe and inviting place where we can be real with one another in the body of Christ. That's what witness to those who don't know Christ is going to have to look like in a world where they don't have a place where they can be the people they were created to be. That's what witness looks like corporately for us as a body. Developing a culture of real relationships. As you know, we often manipulate and twist relationships so that we can hide behind those places that we feel safe. There was a cool quote that uh, Steve Dewar shared uh, with us in the elders meeting this week. His dad always says, If you wear a mask long enough, it becomes your face. That's a good quote. You may want to write that down. You may want to tweet that. But I already did, so you're behind. Uh, If you wear a mask long enough... It becomes your face. And that's not just true for individuals, that's true for us in our relationships. That extends to our relationships because, as adults, we easily maintain supposedly safe dynamics by which we can hide from other people in our relationships. So we try to maintain these superficial relationships, truth be told, if we're being real and honest about one another. We maintain these supposedly safe dynamics in our relationships where we don't have to be real with one another. You don't have to know the real me. I don't have to know the real you. We don't have to be close enough for that to happen because when we do that, then we can't hide our sin and our shame for one another. Anybody been married? Duh. <laughs> we know how that works. You get close enough you experience one another's true ugliness. <laughs> and of course, in these relationships, some of us are like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how I want it. I want to hide. I don't want to have to be close enough with people so that that happens. So that's where we're headed in this series. And I say all that as a precursor to this video we're about to show. I say all that as a sharp contrast to what you're about to see. And a couple of them are chuckling because they helped put this video together. Uh, If there's anybody who can be real in relationships, it's children. No masks to hide behind with children. They have a unique and a sort of innocent view of things, uh, don't they? So we sat some of our kids down the last couple Wednesday nights and we asked them how they view relationships. Let's watch. Am I sticky enough? Well, if I were your friend, what kind of advice would you give me? And are all sixteen your friends or do you five right that? Well all of them are my friends, but my favorite ones are the five. So your best friends do they like the same things you like? Yeah. And we all and the same time you would tell us how to play with your grandfather. So it gives you something. We talked about friends. How many friends do you have? Um, A lot. lot. Uh, do I know any of your friends? Jade and Georgia. Are they sometimes difficult friends? What about their parents? Are their parents sometimes difficult? I see man. What if this table were a relationship? Uh, Elijah Staggs understands well The mess of relationships (coughs) And if you haven't taken a shower In the last couple of days Apparently uh, you might qualify To be our associate minister's son's friend That's one of the lessons I guess Uh, I want you to go on a little thought journey with me for just a few minutes. Uh, I want to start by asking you what seems at first like a bit of a crazy question, a bit of an existential question. We're going to do a little philosophy class here for a moment. Uh, Your answer to this question is is why we are going slowly, perhaps. I know the answer to this question for me is part of why we need to go slowly and why we're letting the first two or three weeks uh, simmer with us. And as soon as I ask you this question, I want you to throw out The Jesus answer. I want you to throw out the Jesus answer because we all know the real answer to this question is for God and for His glory. We all know that the answer to that is the question in theory. But in this series, we're pushing reset and our understanding Uh, And of our goals for our relationships. We're going back to square one to simmer because we have to push reset on our understanding of and our goals of relationships. Because I think what happens over time is they they develop in a certain kind of way. And then we end up decades, perhaps many years after the fact, looking back, going, you know, how I've done these relationships has not been the Jesus answer of for God and his glory. So here's the question. Here's the question. And I want you to think about this in terms of how your life answers this question. The question is, why do other people exist? Why do other human beings exist? There are, there are billions of them on the planet. Have you given sustained thought to the question of why these other beings around me exist let me ask the question another way think about your existing relationships in your life your family, your friends your co-workers, fellow members of the body of Christ think about your existing relationships and let the names come to mind those with whom you come into daily contact or that have significant contact in your life why do those relationships around you exist in the first place Now, remember, throughout the Jesus answer, we all know that that's the right answer. I want you to think about this in terms of how your life has actually already answered this question up to this point. Why do relationships exist in the first place? Is it to make babies? Is it to provide help in our work? Is it to make us happy? Is that it? Because I know for me and I know for lots of people, you might get one or two or even three of those purposes, babies helping our work, make us happy. You may get some of those and then realize that your relationships did not end up being the fulfilling thing you thought they were supposed to be. I think the reality of our lives is that many of us get busy getting busy and decades later find that fulfillment and purpose in our relationships is a faint and distant memory from the past. Truth be told, that's where a lot of adults are in their lives. So our relationships need a reset. This is why we're going to simmer. This is why we're not going to jump to 17 practical ways to make your relationships better. We'll talk about those kinds of things eventually. But we need to press reset by understanding in the first place who we are and why God made us. And so we need to go to God to hear from Him who we are and why we exist. And so we jump into Genesis 1 here. And as we do that, Genesis one twenty six through 8, I want to just simply define for you, and this is in your study notes here, I want to simply define for you uh, a couple terms that are on the study notes in the back of the bulletin there. Uh, we need to be clear about what we mean by these two phrases as we go into the text here, so that as we go into the text, you can see these things emerge as God's two purposes for growth. The first agenda item for God is godliness. His agenda item for our growth is godliness and it's becoming more like God's holy character and nature. Those are the first few blanks there. That's what godliness in pretty simple terms is. More like God's holy character and nature. Now now I didn't say you are a God. We become God. I'm saying more like his holy character and nature. And by this we mean more of, the, more of the stuff that the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit in us produces. Things like the descriptive list at the end of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things that, that are demonstrations of God's holy character and nature being produced in us. We won't be looking this week at how that's produced. We will get there eventually. But we are going to talk about The basics of what godliness for us means in His intent. So that's agenda item number one. Number two for God is mission. And mission is simply His holiness being extended from you to others. In simple terms, that's what mission is. And God's created relationships for us for these two purposes in our growth. Our relationships are about our growth for those two things. Godliness and mission. Godliness and mission. Those are the two purposes we're upholding today in the text. Now we like to think of mission as something that we, we do to help somebody else. And of course it is that. It is that. But I, but I want us to understand that mission done for God's glory is done from God's holiness being extended from you to others. In other words, mission isn't just giving a cup of cold water to somebody who needs it. Anybody can do that. And it can be helpful. Non-Christians do that all day long and it's helpful in physical ways. But what we're talking about here is God's goodness worked out through you. God's goodness worked out through you. Now don't miss that. It is God's goodness worked out through us. Which means that godly mission is infused with it's made effective by godly character. Lots of people do lots of work out of their own goodness, supposedly. I mean, that's, that's why we have fake relationships, right? I have to hold up my, my goodness in front of you so you'll like me. A lot of people do work out of their own goodness, And then they wonder why it isn't effective for the kingdom as they think it should be. I mean, are we preaching yet about half of us in our growing up lives and Christian lives and the way we have struggled with effectiveness for the kingdom? I know I've just named me as a culprit. Doing, doing, doing. Lots of work out of my own manufactured goodness and then wondering why I'm not more effective for the kingdom. So, so as we work through the text today, I want you to see these dual purposes of godliness and mission. I want you to look for the purpose of God, God's agenda of holiness, of godliness, and mission, because it's all over the place. So look at me with the, look with me at one twenty-eight here in Genesis. We start at the beginning of Scripture today, just like last week. We saw last week in this passage, and we're going to see something else today. But we saw last week in this passage the truth that God made us relational beings. Because he is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This week we see how that perfect relationship sets an agenda for us. Let's read the whole thing and then we'll jump back in at 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now look at verse 1. It says, Then God said, This is the apex. This is the climax. This is the, the, the height of His creation work. He says this, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image After our likeness, there's this idea of image likeness that we want to focus on for a few minutes here. So, so here is God, one in essence, three in persons. And God says this in setting forth humanity's purpose. He says, let us make man humanity in our image after our likeness. Which means that we were created out of the perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We exist because of God's perfect relationship with one another, making and creating humanity. Now here's something really cool I want to point out about this image and this likeness thing. Because this is part of where we see this godliness and mission dynamic. This concept of being made in God's image uh, can be real confusing for us. Uh, There's a lot more that could be said about this other than today, but we're going to say this one thing about God's image. This isn't a new question. Christians have been wondering, what what does it mean to be made in God's likeness in his image? They've been wondering that kind of thing ever since God made us in his image. So there's one major thing we want to point out that's sort of this misunderstanding, I think, that we often have when we think about this concept of being made in God's likeness in His image. I think this helps us understand who we are fundamentally in a way that helps us understand relationships. You see, we make this mistake. We make this mistake of thinking uh, because we're a body. we're, We're flesh. And because Jesus came in the flesh. We make the mistake that being made in God's image somehow means that we look like Him physically. And Jesus and we look alike. But that's not the primary thing being communicated in this. It's not how we look like God physically. That's not the primary truth being communicated. Let me explain. I'm going to speak a little carefully and a little slowly here. Because I want you to to hear this and let it sink in. In the ancient world they had idols. That were used in worship. Because these idols were thought to contain the essence, the, the main stuff of the deity, of the, of the God being worshipped. This is what they might have looked like here. This is uh, Baal, B-A-A-L. A common idol that was worshipped in the ancient world. Now in the ancient world, someone have had, would have had an idol like this perhaps in their home uh, that was believed in some way to carry the essence Of that which it represented. It contained the deity's essence. Now this doesn't suggest that uh, the the image, the idol, uh, could do exactly what the deity did or that it actually looked like the deity who was being worshipped. That's not what's being suggested. Don't make the mistake of thinking that that these idols were thought to actually look like the gods. Sometimes they they made them like they thought the gods might look. Um, But it was thought... Um, And you you can take that down. Thanks, guys. It was thought, two things. Number one, that the idol somehow contained the essence of the deity, of the God being worshipped. And number two, that the work of the deity, the God that was being worshipped, they thought, was accomplished through the idol. Here are those two things again. Let me say this slowly. Slowly. It was thought that the idol somehow contained the deity in essence. And secondly, that the deity worked through this idol. That's important to understand because it is into that pagan world. It is into that pagan world that God introduces this thoroughly mind-blowing, life-changing world. World changing idea God comes along and makes the claim (laughs) He says these idols are empty These idols are worthless And empty And he reveals the truth That people Not idols People Are what is sacred He comes along and says two things. Number one, human beings can contain my essence. And number two, human beings can do my work. There are other things we could say about the image of God and being created in God's image. But those are two primary things that all of Scripture points to. We could talk about chapter and verse of tons of places in Scripture that talk about the truth that God's purpose in creating you, the reason He made us, is so that we can demonstrate His goodness in character and nature and that that character and nature in us can do the work of God. One of the key things that Genesis is saying is that to be made in the image of God means that we are representatives in physical form. Not not just the appearance, but but a representative in physical form of what God is doing in creation. That is a mind-blowing truth of who you are are in God's purposes. This this means that God's agenda from the very beginning of forming you was that He might live in you and work through you. He wants to live in you and work through you. Just read the rest of this passage. Humankind is a being where godliness and mission are meant to work in tandem to fulfill God's purposes. It says this in 26, let's keep reading. It says, let them, meaning the humans who are infused with God's character and nature, let them who have that ability to demonstrate God's character and nature have dominion That's mission right there. That's stewardship over God's creation and over his purposes. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds, the livestock, all the earth, and every creeping thing. And 27 is a restatement, a summary statement. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. People are meant to embody what the idols could not. And those who worship the idols of this world, it's not just that Baal we looked at. It's any and every idol to which you give your heart that this world offers. Those who worship this world's idols have it totally backwards. People are meant to embody what an idol never could as God infuses us with his character and nature. Notice this next phrase in the text. We're going to park out here. We're going to camp out here for a second. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them. And God blessed them. Now, (laughs) to be blessed doesn't mean to be given stuff to enjoy. Okay, To be blessed does not mean to be given stuff to enjoy. It means to be given stuff to enjoy giving it back away. God doesn't bless Adam and Eve simply to enjoy some cool new stuff. He blesses them. Listen, this is the key. He blesses them. This is mission. He blesses them so that their godliness could come out in mission. He blesses them so that they could enjoy being able to do what God made them to do in the first place. To give away his godliness. You exist. We exist. Your very body, your being, everything about you exists to give away. Away godliness. But, but, but think, for example, think about how we use the term blessed. We say, I'm blessed. Oh, oh, I'm blessed. Like, I'm just so blessed to have this stuff because I'm grateful. You're not blessed to have it. You're not blessed to have the stuff. You're blessed, and God says this here, to give it away. And then at that point, then you begin to fulfill God's purposes for you. Then you begin to know personally the joy of being used by God, not because of your self-righteous manufacture of goodness, but out of the overflow of the goodness of God in us. That is mission that enjoys God's character and nature being made known in you and that can't help but give away what God's given you. To be blessed is to be enabled by God to carry out mission. To be blessed is to to have Him give you His godliness in character and nature through the Holy Spirit as we submit ourselves to Him so that we can give all that away. To be blessed is to be enabled, to be enabled by God to carry out His purposes. Look at the next phrase. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Five times He says, Do something for me with someone else. What God's calling us to here is to join with Him in making goodness and glory known. To make goodness and glory known. And listen, God has to work in you as He's working through you. If it's not God's blessing you, if it's you blessing you, I earned what I've got, I've got myself here. If it's you blessing you, then you can be sure that your purposes will be achieved in you. God has to work in you if He's going to work through you. Look at John 17. John 17, 17-23 real quick. This is where we see Jesus on His way to the cross Jesus as the perfect representative of God. He is the perfect example of the image of God working in and through human flesh. And in this passage in John 17, we also see the tandem of God's goodness and mission side by side. John 17, 17 to 23. These are his last words for his people. And they're filled with godliness and mission. Godliness and mission. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them, meaning make them godly. Make them godly. How? By the truth. In the truth, your word is truth. It's the truth of God that makes us holy from the inside out. And then there's mission, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God so loved you, the world that he sent. Jesus is saying, just like you sent me to make you known, Father, so I send them. That's the reason we exist, to extend Christ's mission. So you don't, as we easily do, you don't exist to eek Out of relationships, a pathetic goal of temporary earthly happiness. You will achieve a little bit of that. You exist as part of a community for growth and godliness. In mission for you and for everyone around you look at the verbiage. Jesus isn't praying for you by name In fact, he's praying for a community of people verse 19 He says for their sake for all of them for their sake. I consecrate myself. I was made holy perfectly holy I consecrate myself submitting my will to the father Jesus says so that they also may be sanctified in truth God says through Jesus. I've made myself perfect so that you can do what I'm doing For their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. He embodies godliness and mission. And then in verse 20 he says, mission here again. This is for those whom his followers will minister to. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then verse 21 speaks of the communal purposes in all of this. There must be unity and purpose for this to happen. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Notice here in verse 21, there's a relationship going on between us with one another and us with God. Communal relationships horizontally with one another and vertically with God. And then it shows the purpose of that kind of relationship. So that this is in verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's, that's mission. It's godliness for mission. And then he says it all again in the last couple of verses. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one in the same way and the same purposes that they may be one even as we are one. So for you and for me To become the men and the women God created us to be means to identify with Jesus Christ in having perfect communion with God. Now only He can have that this side of heaven. But as justified believers, we can have a relationship with God that makes that effective. Verses 22 and 3 just state this whole thing together. The glory that you have given me, this is Jesus speaking, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, meaning completed in Christ, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, if the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, can pray this prayer, with the kind of humility that understood clearly that his purpose was making God's goodness and glory known. <laughs> what on earth are we thinking is remotely acceptable about perverting our life's purpose and therefore our relationships? To be about anything other than making God's goodness and glory known. It's like Romans 9.20. We're little clay pots. Looking up at the potter. Crying, why have you made me like this? And God says, why have I made you like this? Because you can't do it on your own. You are infinitely unable to do it on your own. In practical human terms, you're unable to do it on your own. We talked about Genesis 2.24 last week where it says it is not good for the man to be alone. There's nothing in the text or in the context there in Genesis 2 that should make us think that Adam is lonely. God didn't make Eve because Adam is lonely. To read that loneliness into the text is to read our own purposes in the text. Listen, this is fundamental stuff. We have to get through our heads as we think about our relationships and one another. God gave Adam and Eve to each other because alone they could not fulfill God's purposes. Alone doesn't fulfill, doesn't achieve God's purposes for your life. You can't do, I can't do this life alone. You cannot work through your past alone. You cannot redeem past hurts and pain alone. You cannot become an effective kingdom worker like you are created to be alone. And if you you haven't turned your life over to Christ, you cannot make up for your sin alone. It takes a perfect Savior to carry that load for you. Friends, the lesson is for us to lean into relationship because you cannot. Become who God made you to be by yourself. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know the truth of that personally in some ways that took me to the cross many years ago and that continue to take me back. You and I cannot become who God made us to be by ourselves. To live differently is to try to live in a world that is different than the world God made. And is different than the person He made you to be. Lord God in heaven, we have in so many ways.